0: Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week. Florida lawmakers have finished their work for the year. The 60-day legislative session had to stretch an extra few hours on Saturday for them to okay a $91.1 billion state budget. The spending plan now awaits Governor Ron DeSantis' signature. The governor is expected to veto some of the spending projects, but the budget process this year lacked the tension and the drama and the delays of past years. The budget calls for increasing total state spending by about 2%, the slowest annual growth in state spending in several years. The biggest area of spending, though, continues to be health care. It will consume about 40 cents of every dollar the state spends. About 30 cents of every dollar will be spent on education, and around 15 cents of every dollar will be spent on the environment and transportation. These are the major areas of state spending. And so they're the areas we're going to focus on today as we look at state spending in the sunshine economy. Emily Mahoney is along with us who follows the state legislature for our partner, the Miami Herald and the Tampa Bay Times. Christine Sexton does much the same for the News Service of Florida. Bruce Ritchie watches the environmental spending pieces of the legislature for Politico. All three of them are with us here on the Sunshine Economy. Christine, let me start with you. Describe the budget process this year. You've uh, been witness to a lot of these. How would you describe this year's process?
1: Hi um how would i describe it i in my area i felt like it wasn't as contentious as it had been in years past you know they i felt like it was rather transactional they did a lot of substantive policy and once they agreed to substance to those substantive changes they agreed to funding issues.
0: You describe uh, and focus on health care. That had been an area of a lot of contention between the Republican leadership in the House and Senate and Governor Rick Scott. Not so much this year, even though there's some pretty significant policy reforms that we'll get into uh, later on in this program. But why do you think that tension was not present uh, where it was previously?
1: Well, you know, I think the fact that Uh, the governor was a legislator himself. He knows how to work with lawmakers in the House and Senate. And remember, the former governor, he didn't have any political experience before becoming the governor. So I don't think he understood the process as well. But I feel like Governor DeSantis stayed back and then came in when he had to. And I think that made a difference.
0: Emily Mahoney, how about from your perspective? The governor's statement on Saturday at the end of the legislative session was that uh, for the budget, quote, there's something in here for everyone. Did everyone win?
2: Well, focusing on education, I think that um, especially in K-12 education, there was a lot less a lot less fireworks around that this year, similarly to what Christine was saying. Um, last year when they laid out the k-12 budget i mean we had superintendents from across the state demanding that the legislature come back do a special session and redo their education funding because they were so upset by um, what they saw as minimal increases in the kind of main flexible district spending portion of the of the funding. And this year they all released statements saying thank you for mm-hmm. actually giving us a, an increase that we can work with and uh, we don't think that we'll have to cut back um staff positions in our district offices because we have enough money this year so it it generally went pretty smoothly in that area and and uh, superintendents and teachers unions are not um, groups that we are used to hearing praise from when it (laughs) comes to education budget
0: so Uh, certainly not uh, in recent years and we'll talk into some of the specifics there around educational spending because there is still plenty of room for controversy in how the state is spending money on public education Bruce Ritchie with Politico the governor came in strong with big spending hopes on the environment we'll talk about specifics there as well uh but when he talks about something in here for everyone he certainly got what he wanted didn't he
3: he got <clears throat> some of what he wanted and and you have to bore into the numbers some to uh to, to 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 explain that story and in the end he said he got more than he asked for but i can go into those numbers with you in a little while and um but certainly, I think the environmental community that wanted more money spent on land acquisition was disappointed. Uh, the, the governor asked for $100 million there, and it was $33 million in the end.
0: You know, it was just a few months ago, uh, I think it was in February, before the legislative session began officially, where the state economist Amy Baker warned lawmakers of a structural imbalance that spending – would be growing faster than revenues not this year but in 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 coming years in 2021 22 23 uh Christine d- does this budget acknowledge any of that during the process that came up with this spending plan is there an acknowledgment that they've got uh, they, they've got some difficult decisions to, to make in the years ahead if the economic forecast numbers remain accurate in terms of healthcare growing uh pushing toward that spending increase versus the state revenue increases, which are growing much more slowly.
1: Right. Well, um, I don't think that you saw large cuts in the health care budget. And they funded health care. They did agree to one recurring cut that is in this year's budget, and they agreed to continue that cut Mm -hmm. into next year's budget. But I feel as though this is the first time in a long time you haven't seen cuts for Florida hospitals, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, there were discussions about how to spend the money and which hospitals should get paid how much, but you, there weren't really discussions. Um, they, they, they walked away without significant cuts, and, and they're a big part of the budget. Um, they didn't cut Medicaid HMOs. They didn't cut uh, people off programs. They didn't restrict programs. So they they funded healthcare at levels more generously than in the past.
0: And, and Emily, same could be said as you referred to earlier when it comes to public education, some pretty significant increases that we hadn't seen in the last several years with Governor Rick Scott. But again, coming at a time when the state economist has warned of these structural imbalances, where, where revenue in in the years ahead is unlikely to keep pace with some of these spending increases we're seeing.
2: I would agree with that, with that summary, especially as it relates to K-12. But um, public education encompasses a lot. And uh, when we're talking about higher ed funding, uh, there weren't we, don't, we did not see the same kind of increases necessarily that we saw in the K-12 space. Uh, universities actually saw a cut to their base funding, and now it's, it's a little complicated because that was offset by some kind of last-minute funding that they got in the budget at the very end, but in general, uh, we did not see a lot of new increased funding in higher ed, so that is one area that kind of contrasts to the other areas we're talking about.
0: And Bruce, you mentioned how some of the environmentalists are disappointed with the amount of money directed toward- land purchases. But overall, the environment fared fairly well in this budget, certainly compared to the Rick Scott years. Uh, but again, this imbalance, this growing imbalance that the, that the state economist has been warning about, how sustainable is this kind of funding that Governor DeSantis wants throughout his first term for the environment?
3: Well, in the background of this issue is also a lawsuit involving Amendment One money from from 2014, which dedicated a third of revenue from a, a an excise tax on real estate transactions to the environment. People said it should be going to land acquisition. It should be boosting money. It should be a dedicated source of funding, and yet the legislature has used that for a lot of other programs. So. Um, The environment is better off than the very, very lean years of 2010 and 2011, Um, but um, there's still some contention there that the money that voters wanted to go for land acquisition is not going there
0: to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars a year collected in that real estate transaction tax. Environment, just one big piece of state spending. Uh, Education, health care being two other large pieces of state spending. We're talking about that today on The Sunshine Economy. It's still to come. Health care spending. We're going to drill down on health care spending and the efforts to change how much and how fast the spending is growing. That's next. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks again for listening and supporting public radio. I'm Tom Hudson. One of the health issues that dominated the public debate for Florida lawmakers over the past couple of months was dealt with actually very early on in the legislative session. They okayed smokable <clears throat> medical marijuana. But other health care issues hold the potential of reshaping the health care industry, or certainly spending at least that's the hope of the republicans who pushed for the changes. Christine Sexton watches healthcare spending, healthcare policy for News Service of Florida. She's with us from our sister station in Tallahassee WFSU. Christine, first let's tackle one of the biggest changes, one of the biggest priorities of the Florida House uh, speaker, uh, Oliva, Jose Oliva from uh, Miami Lakes, and that was to increase competition for hospitals by eliminating the certificate of need, C-O-N, con. Uh, uh, he was successful in eliminating this certificate of need. How does he want to, how does he think that can reshape healthcare spending?
1: Um, <clears throat> well, thank you for having me, first of all. I will tell you, I have been following healthcare for 20 years and for 20 years there have been, Attempts to eliminate the certificate of need program, but no one has been successful before this speaker Um, He a certificate of need program It's all in the name it the name has the word need in it Mm -hmm. So the way it works is you generally have not been able to open a new hospital a new nursing home a new you know burn program Mm -hmm. unless you can show that there's a need for it and the speaker believes that that is a artificial barrier to the market and that there should be a free market in healthcare a lot of people out there will tell you why there cannot be a free market in healthcare or why they believe there can't be so eliminating this program is it's huge the accomplishment cannot be understated and just so i'm clear though the program is not eliminated for nursing homes mm-hmm. or hospice, or so it's still not a free market approach as you know the Speaker would like, but it is definitely gone for hospitals. So after um, 20
0: years, the legislature finally passes this, and what is the intended uh, 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 impact uh, for state spending on health care, which consumes a plurality of state dollars?
1: The Speaker believes that by eliminating market entry into the market it will lower health care costs that remains to be seen like I said they did not eliminate it for the nursing home program and that's predominantly funded with Medicaid dollars You, you know hospitals you have a mix of dollars in there you have you know commercial health insurance in there mostly in nursing homes it is about most all Medicaid and they kept that program for nursing homes
0: And why that carve-out? What was the justification for allowing the market protections to remain for nursing homes, whereas the House Speaker talked about the the healthcare industrial complex in his efforts to eliminate the certificate of need for general hospitals?
1: You know, I think that um, it was initially in the House bill, so the Speaker initially had nursing homes in Mm -hmm. there. It came out um, with negotiations in the Senate. The nursing home industry adamantly opposed it. Um, I don't know if that had something to do with it. Um, I'd be surprised if you see Certificate of Need go away for nursing homes anytime
0: soon, though. Meantime, the other uh, significant health care reform that uh, legislators passed and Governor Ron DeSantis has, has uh, uh, spoken approvingly of, which is the re-importation or the importation of prescription drugs, from Canada. Three different efforts here in this legislation, and two of them require the federal government to allow prescription drugs from Canada to be imported into Florida. I think Florida would be, what, the second state to uh, pass uh, a similar legislation. Vermont is still waiting for its federal approval. Again, what what's the potential market impact on the state budget if the state is successful in bringing in prescription drugs from Canada?
1: Well, um, you, you- Right now, I think it could have uh, – I think the governor and legislative leadership are hoping it will have an impact on spending in the Department of Corrections and for treatment of hepatitis C. I think that that is a big goal of theirs. Um, but the program, it again, it does require approval, but you could do it for Medicaid, pretty much any state – healthcare-funded program in part. And a matter of fact, at the waning moments of the the session, the legislature agreed to allow state employees, if they wanted to voluntarily start getting, you know, prescription drugs from these programs, they could do it too. So they, they set up these programs, and they're trying to, um, you know, reach – Every place where the state funds health care, you know, prisons, mm-hmm. everywhere.
0: Yeah, state employees uh, and, and others. And certainly this Medicaid, Medicaid, which is a significant uh, 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 source of state spending because it's a mix of state and federal dollars. And let's talk about Medicaid here a little bit. Christine Sexton with News Service of Florida, watching the state legislature and health care policy with us uh, on the Sunshine Economy. Uh, Changes for how the state distributes Medicaid dollars to hospitals was a key point of of debate, not only between the House and the Senate, but also Republicans and Democrats in Tallahassee. What was the outcome of this? Uh, Any changes to how these Medicaid dollars go to safety net hospitals, of which there are some significant ones here in South Florida?
1: Yeah, essentially what the uh, chambers agreed to do is take, the House initially did propose cuts to hospitals, and they proposed a 3% across the board cut. The Senate came out with this plan that would redistribute hundreds of millions in supplemental Medicaid dollars that have traditionally gone to these large safety nets, and they were just gonna take that money, have it go away and use all of the money to increase everyone's base rates. And that would have been very problematic for large facilities like Jackson, Broward, um, the hospitals in the Broward system, Jackson Memorial for sure, children's hospitals. So ultimately what both chambers agreed to do was to – they stuck with that house number of 3%. Um, but what they did is they just took 3% of the hundreds of millions of funds that were in – you know, being targeted for supplemental dollars. So at the end of the day, the safety nets, they didn't walk away. I think this is a better session than what it has been in the past when they've actually had cuts. Um, They have redistributed dollars and it's not all to their liking, but considering what they were looking at, I think they're pretty happy with with what ultimately passed.
0: And Christine, I wanna ask you about the retroactive eligibility nature of Medicaid. This has been a piece of focus for regulators here in Florida about shortening the ability for somebody who qualifies for Medicaid to retroactively apply for Medicaid payment after they receive a healthcare treatment. Traditionally, it's been 90 days. There's been efforts to cut that, I think as short as a month. Um, what's the status of that in this budget? Has that changed?
1: Um, well, no, it hasn't changed. What lawmakers agreed to do um, is continue that cut, So, because that cut is going to save $100 million. So it would have been very hard for them to back away from it, but what advocates were successful in convincing lawmakers was not to make the cut permanent without taking a look and studying it and analyzing it because as a refresher, this is something that only impacts the frail, the elderly, and the disabled mm-hmm. because they lawmakers specifically exempted women and children from it. So in Florida's Medicaid program, you don't have working adults. So it's just older people or women and children. So it only impacts older people. And um, advocates you know, said, please don't make this cut. Permanent you let's analyze it, see if it's saving you money, see if it's adversely affecting people's lives, and let's get that data and then examine it and then have a conversation about whether or not to make it permanent. So they agreed to extend it, but they only agreed to extend it for the life of the budget.
0: So uh, a one month uh, rather a one fiscal one year. year one fiscal year beginning July yeah. 1, which will continue that Christine Sexton with new so, service of yeah. Florida stick with us here. We got a lot more to talk about as we dissect the Florida state spending, spending your money on your behalf, still to come spending on learning how lawmakers are increasing funding for schools, traditional public schools and charters. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening. You can follow along on Twitter, at WLRN is our handle. Florida public schools will get more money beginning in July, over $240 more per student. The base student allocation, the money with the fewest strings attached from the state government, goes up by about $75 per student. While it is a raise for traditional public schools, more money will also have to be shared with charter schools. Emily Mahoney watches education policy spending in the legislature for our partner, the Miami Herald and the Tampa Bay Times. She's with us from the Tampa Bay Times newsroom here on the Sunshine Economy. Emily, did uh, the governor began this session with the education spending goal of 80% of state spending to be spent in the classroom. D- does the budget uh, reach this goal?
2: Well, that's a complicated question with a complicated answer, (laughs) but uh, I think the answer as of this year is probably no. Uh, That goal was something that, like you said, he wanted, um, he campaigned on during his campaign, and... Quite frankly, it's a number that's very difficult to reach. And lawmakers and policymakers on both sides of the aisle have acknowledged that that 80 percent is just a really high figure when you consider uh, the fact that schools also pay for administration and cafeteria workers and buses and just a slew of things that may or may not be considered in the classroom. Um, but one thing that they did do is starting; they are starting to move the way they spend on education um, into that per-student funding pot, what what we kind of policy wonks like to call the FEFP. So they created a a new, um, or they they made major changes to the teacher bonus program, for Mm -hmm. example, and for the first time this year, they moved that spending into the... FEFP or the per student funding. And so the governor commented after the uh, session had finished that that is in an effort to start making clear what is being spent in the classroom and what isn't. Yeah.
0: Let's, let's talk about the bonus. There are lots to talk about here in education, but quickly on the bonus side, since you mentioned it, you know, uh, um, uh, Miami Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties, among others, all three have had local property tax referenda approved to increase teacher pay among other spending uh, issues around education and elsewhere. Um, But this is is state spending on teacher compensation, but not necessarily teacher pay. This is still the bonus program.
2: Right. So what I'm referring to is the teacher bonus program, which is a little different from the teacher raises that you see from local property taxes because that's local money versus the teacher bonus program comes out of state money.
0: Gotcha. So let's talk about how the legislature continues to look at education spending between state uh, responsibility and local responsibility. Does the legislature continue limiting, for instance, the local school district's ability to capture rising property values with higher property revenue?
2: Yes, that was a decision made this year. Uh, They're basically continuing what they had done last year, where they they see uh, rising property values and taxing those uh, as they rise as essentially a tax increase. So they have continue to keep the uh, uh, total amounts the same, which, you know, if you think about it mathematically, actually kind of means that they're lowering the rate as the property values rise.
0: One of the other consequences of that means that the state becomes more responsible for spending on education, assuming that the entire education budget goes up, which it is, versus the local uh, revenue that's generated for education. Isn't that correct, Emily?
2: I think so, but uh, as you mentioned before, uh, many districts have also looked at raising their local property taxes, and that became a huge issue this year, yeah. um, whether or not to um, allow charter schools to get a slice of that pie, uh, and it was an issue that was debated all the way up until the very last minute, it felt like, of the session on Friday night.
0: And the result was that uh, any pie that's already baked uh, remains what it is. It's any future pies, any future tax referenda that happened to be passed that uh, uh, local school districts would have to share with traditional public schools as well as charter schools.
2: Yes, and that's correct. And that was the final result after many different iterations and many different back and forths. At one point, it looked like the uh, legislature might uh, carve out every school district's past referendums would stay the same except for Mm Miami-Dades, which, as you know, just passed their uh, referendum in November. And so there was like a brief kind of panic in Miami-Dade as to whether or not this would go through. And it was very quickly amended, and it it didn't come to fruition. And uh, what you stated is a, is a good summary of what actually ended up happening.
0: So let's talk about the uh, increase in uh, in funding for K through 12 education. Some, uh, some would argue a pretty significant increase, especially compared to last year. $242, I think, is the total amount per pupil spending increase. The base student allocation, which has the fewest strings attached to it, kind of allows the districts to spend how they prefer. Uh, about seventy-five dollars per student. How does that compare historically, and how does it compare uh, with with the need that uh, that has been articulated from schools?
2: Well, when we're looking at how it compares to last year and and historically, I mean these are both uh, pretty healthy increases in these two very important spending categories for schools, um, especially, I think the most districts would tell you the best measure of spending is what we're talking about, that base student allocation, uh, because they can spend that on everything from teacher salaries to their electric bills. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year, that was only increased by 47 cents, uh, which caused a, a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of controversy, and this year that went up by $75. Um, so historically speaking, that... That is um, a pretty a pretty healthy increase compared to the need. I mean, school districts always say that they could use more, um, especially as. You know, cost of living rises in especially places like Miami and teachers need enough money to be able to live there. Um, and that's always a huge topic of conversation. So I, I think that they the districts would tell you that they could definitely use more, but that this will at least allow them to not make any major cuts. They won't be forced to make cuts.
0: The policy wonks call it the cost differential, right, Emily, in terms of uh, the cost of living being different in Dixie County. Uh, compared to uh, Palm Beach or Broward County or Monroe County, for that matter. And that kind of uh, uh, spells the difference in, while we talk about this average per pupil spending increase, what local school districts realize can be somewhat different based upon their location.
2: Correct. And the district cost differential, which, like you said, is supposed to control for different costs of living, is something that... uh, especially the Miami-Dade delegation who had really tried to get done this year. They wanted to change the way that formula is calculated so that it more accurately reflects um, expensive living in places like Miami-Dade and that's not something that they exactly accomplished this year though they did have something in the budget language that is going to have uh, basically a new f- new formula be calculated. They're going to crunch the numbers uh, over the summer and when we come back to the session next year I think that we will see some big movement on that and possibly approving a new a new formula to adjust for higher costs of living.
0: Some of the loudest debate that we heard this year when it comes to education education spending was uh, again, the 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 separation or the 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 difference between a traditional public school and those payments and those dollars and traditional, uh, or rather, and and public charter schools, and how those are paid for and their ability to access public dollars. Uh, what strikes you about the debate and the policy? Governor, uh, former Governor Jeb Bush was in the legislature, for instance, when uh, the the House. Uh, voted for a, a new school voucher program that had been challenged. Similar programs have been challenged and failed in, in the Supreme Court. This new program would allow public money essentially to be used for private schools. Uh, what strikes you about the, these policy changes and the, 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 uh, the tone and the tenor of this debate that led to them this year?
2: Well, what you were just talking about, that new voucher program that they created, it's called the Family Empowerment Scholarship. And I would say the tone when they passed that that bill off the House floor and sent it to the governor's desk, I mean – Definitely a sense of uh, major, major victory um, among Republicans when they passed that. This is an idea that's been around for a very long time. As you mentioned, it's something that Jeb Bush had wanted to do. And uh, just to be clear, this is this is public dollars for charter. Or, I'm sorry, public dollars for private schools, um, funded out of the the. The per-student pot of money, the FEFP that we were just talking Mm -hmm. about, so that as each individual student leaves the public school system and goes to a private school, they essentially take that per-student funding with them, 95% of what the district would have received for that student, and they take that with them and spend that money at a private school.
0: Uh, And this likely is going to get challenged in court. Previous efforts have have been challenged and have failed with the Supreme Court, but with the governor... Uh, appointing three new uh, Supreme Court uh, 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 justices in Florida, there's much more confidence by the legislature that this kind of, uh, of policy will, will pass constitutional muster uh, w- with the Supreme Court. And in fact, I believe, Emily, the legislature even put aside uh, a few hundred thousand dollars for litigation services to, to defend this policy.
2: Yes, they did. They put aside about $250,000 in the budget uh, for the Department of Education, Education Services. And when we asked about that uh, during one of the budget meetings, we asked the House Budget Chair, um, Rep Cummings, about this. He said, you know, well, we're passing a lot of bold education le- uh, legislation, and we expect that to get challenged in court, and we want to make sure that we have enough money to to support that legislation. So I think that, you know, that upcoming, what everybody assumes will be an upcoming court battle over that particular law uh, will be extremely interesting to follow and will be extremely telling in um, kind of the way this new Supreme Court is operating.
0: One other uh, final piece on the charter school uh, 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 role in the budget. Um, talk to us a little bit, Emily, about the capital uh, project. So this is money that goes to repair air conditioning and, and, and doors and and windows Um, But charter schools are getting uh, several hundred, well, several dozen millions of dollars earmarked in capital money that uh, traditionally had gone to the uh, traditional public schools.
2: Right. So this is all uh, kind of a battle every year in the legislature about how much to give uh, for building projects to charter schools. So charter schools this year got about $150 million in the budget for that. And what's interesting is you'll look in the budget and then it says $0 for uh, public schools and $0 for universities. Mm-hmm. And this is all talking about maintenance, as you right. mentioned. Um, and the reason for that is because when we're talking about local property taxes, Uh, districts receive the proceeds for local property taxes in their counties, and they are not required to share that funding with charter schools. Um, Now, that will be different for referendum funding in the future, as we Mm -hmm. talked about. Uh, There's always lots of caveats, but in general, um, that's still the case where districts are receiving money for that same purpose from their local property taxes now I still think that districts would definitely prefer to still get state money from that as well and this is always a big debate but that's what uh, the Republican majority decided was was best
0: on education spending did uh, did universities lose out this year
2: um, I, I think that they were there were signs that they, um, they were very concerned <laughs> as the budget negotiations were going on and It's always very unclear until kind of the very end. But we knew from the fairly early in the budget negotiations that they were going to get a $35 million cut to university-based budgets, which is a substantial cut, especially when uh, the legislature and the governor has been very proud of UF's uh, kind of rise in the national rankings mm-hmm. as well as FSUs. Um, and so they were, there was a lot of concern about that. Um, in the end, that that cut was offset a little bit to individual uh, checks that the state wrote at the very end of the process mm-hmm. to different universities, kind of either to um, their operations or uh, they funded kind of their number one priority, <clears throat> excuse me, construction project. So mm-hmm. in uh, USF, In USF's case, for example, they got about $12 million to finish their med school, which was kind of their number one wish list item. So I would say, in general, it was a a lean year for universities. Um, Some are more, for some, it was more lean than others. um, And they didn't get big increases, no. But I don't think it was as bad as they originally Mm -hmm. feared when we first started having these conversations.
0: Emily Mahoney, uh, watching the state legislature, talking specifically about education, spending, and policy with us. Uh, She is with our partner, the Miami Herald. Also the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, Emily, stick with us. We've got more to come. We're going to talk about spending on the environment, millions of dollars directed toward water and the Everglades. That is still to come. We're back on the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening. When Ron DeSantis ran for governor, his first significant issue statement was concerning the environment. Days after being sworn in as governor, his first substantial executive order dealt with the environment. And lawmakers listened, okaying over $680 million for water quality and Everglades restoration. But there will be less money to buy and protect Florida land compared to years past. Bruce Ritchie watches the environment for Politico. He's with us from our sister station in Tallahassee, WFSU. Bruce, what is and where is this water money going to be directed?
3: Thank you for having me, Tom. Um, And it's great to uh, recognize the environment for the important part it has in our state, both industry, tourism, and our quality of life here. The the legislature set aside, as you said, $682 million dollars they said for for water programs um, requested by Governor DeSantis, uh, Senator Bradley, the uh, the budget chairman said um, uh, the Senate budget chairman said any way you slice it, we not only met the governor's request on the environment, but we exceeded it. But I I have a little difficulty with reporting as six hundred eighty two million because it, right off the bat it includes fifty million dollars for springs that was not spent in twenty eighteen twenty nineteen the mm. current fiscal year. Mm. And that's required in law to have the $50 million in the budget. It's a law they passed just about four years ago. And so I don't think you get to count it twice. (laughs) They didn't approve a list of DEP projects last year. They required it to be submitted to the Legislative Budget Commission, and the Budget Commission never took it up. So take off that $50 million. It will go next year towards the list. That's a you know, that, that's a good thing if you're a spring supporter, you would have liked that money earlier. So that's, you know, down now we're down to $632 million. The governor requested $150 million for a pair of water quality programs. Uh, total uh, a, a $100 million for subject to sewer conversions. It's a grant program. And $50 million for a water waste cleanup program called TMDL. The legislature gave $25 million each to this. Mm -hmm. So right there, there's another $100 million the governor requested that's not there. Well, how then are they able to claim to have met the governor's request? Well, the legislature put in $50 million for a Lake Okeechobee program. Um, It's a a series of of, uh, aquifer storage in recovery wells in wetlands north of Lake Okeechobee. The communities around the lake have clamored for it. It certainly agriculture points to water pollution problems north of the lake, um, rather than their own contributions to Lake Okeechobee. Right. That's not that's fifty million dollars that the Governor DeSantis did not request. Another forty nine point one million dollars in water in water projects the, the legislature picks out. Uh, this is just a favorite item every year for legislators. It builds goodwill. Uh, from democrats to to keep them from opposing the budget and speaking out against it and it, it's it's bringing the bacon back home and um and it's also a favorite veto uh, yeah. uh bait for the governor in the past uh, governor Scott's hit quite a, quite a bit of it Bruce, so there you go. That's basically yeah. $100 million in stuff that the legislature put in that the governor didn't ask for. Yeah, we're all so,
0: about spreadsheets and going through line items here on the Sunshine Economy. There's no doubt about it, Bruce. So that's really helpful to hear that. So uh, are we to assume then really competing, battling environmental priorities uh, between between the governor and, and the legislature? And which ones, frankly, are uh, are the scientists telling us are the priorities versus what the politicians are saying?
3: Well, on Saturday after the budget passed, it was a feel-good fest up at the Capitol, and you know everyone's declaring victory. Governor DeSantis said, "We didn't get six hundred twenty-five million; we got more than that." He said, and uh, so I, I can't quite tell at this point if he knows those numbers or if he cares about the numbers. Uh, there certainly, uh, Everglades supporters were very happy for what was in the budget, including forty million dollars for Tamiami Trail um uh, you know what the scientists say is needed um it, it, there's a, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 needs of this state for infrastructure for dealing with wastewater treatment plants septic to sewer conversions uh restoring the everglades is giant it's it's phenomenal uh, i mean i've seen figures talking in the in the billions yeah. to trillions of dollars yeah. So, uh, so, is
0: any of this a down payment toward that?
3: Yes, it's. I mean, certainly we're we're taking care of business. We're 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 doing the Everglades. We're, um, uh, I mean, removing the Tamiami Trail as a barrier to water flowing to right. the Everglades, That's Ra- raising be huge. the road
0: up and allowing the water to to flow underneath. Uh, you know, a lot of this had been directed during the campaign because of the blue-green algae flowing out of Lake Okeechobee to the east and west coast, and then of course the red tide. Uh, plaguing uh, our neighbors on the Gulf Coast, and even some of that being found here on the Atlantic side as well. Uh, uh, what does the best science tell us about these dollars and the projects that are in these line items, Bruce, uh, that are going to address these two specific issues?
3: Well, the the science is very difficult on on Red Tide. It's, it starts offshore. Mm-hmm. The scientists believe that it's worsened by pollution when you when it comes in the shore that but they're they're really I think they're going to be trying to figure out how they can determine um uh, w- is there any way to predict a bad year for, for red tide? Yeah. Or is there any way to predict where it's going? Or is there any you know, because it's too late to tell people to get out of the water when the red tide's already there. Right. So they, they did pass a bill and they have four million dollars in there for a center for red tide research. And there's you know, it's talking legislation about controlling red tide and mitigating red tide. But there, but I think there's a lot to be done there on the science of understanding it. On the on the blue-green algae we you know we know that the discharges from Lake Okeechobee contribute to this problem as do septic tanks There are a lot of problems there to be fixed, and uh, you know so a lot of money is going towards building reservoirs to try to capture water to try to divert water, try to send more water south into the everglades mm-hmm. it's going to help that's what helps but then then there's a myriad of issues that involve enforcement of environmental regulations, stronger cleanup programs, uh, stronger pollution controls, better uh, practices by agriculture and a lot of environmentalists say that's not being addressed. A lot of people with the state and a lot of people with industry are saying, we have plans, we're working this out, we're working on it, give it some time.
0: Twelve, 13 years ago, the state of Florida was setting aside $300 million a year to purchase land and protect that environment. Uh, we ran into the buzzsaw of the Great Recession. That money was zeroed out. Uh, five years ago, Florida uh, uh, voters approved of a constitutional amendment that would earmark a significant uh, chunk of tax revenue for the Florida environment. These are these Amendment 1 dollars to the tune of, I think, 700, 800 million dollars a year right now. Um, In this budget, uh, originally there was 300 million dollars, I think, for Florida Forever for land purchases. That got uh, pared back by uh, about 90 percent, didn't it, Bruce?
3: Uh, Actually, the governor requested 100 million dollars. Okay, stand correct. That got pared back by
0: two-thirds then, by 67 percent.
3: It it did it did uh, the and the hundred million dollars was was equal to what got passed this past year so that had given environmentalists a lot of hope that we were on the way back to the three hundred million dollars and they were enthusiastic about DeSantis requesting a hundred and hoping the legislature would go up from there instead it went down from there Senator Rob Bradley a uh, who says he is a strong supporter of the Florida Forever program said um, that the EP needs to get off the ball. And the governor and cabinet need to spend the money that they put aside last year. He said there's still a lot of money sitting in there that's not not spent. DEP says, well, it t- you know, you have to wait for the budget year to start, and then you have to do land deals, and it takes a few months, and it, most of that money will be gone by the end of the fiscal year. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think it's just because there was a there's a, there's there's a lot of competing interests. There's you know Everglades, Tammy, you know, uh, well Tammy Trail is not part of that. It's DOT. But there are a lot of different projects uh, seeking money. Yeah. And um, so.
0: And those they, are just the ones uh, in South Florida, which we're concentrated on, not, not to say anything about what's happening in North Florida and the Panhandle. Uh, Bruce Ritchie watching the environment, environmental policy for Politico. We've got uh, plenty more to come here on the Sunshine Economy, including how will Governor Ron DeSantis look at his first budget as governor? That's next. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. When Governor Rick Scott got his first budget as governor, he vetoed several million dollars worth of projects. Governor Ron DeSantis is pouring over a $91.1 billion state plan, uh, state spending plan right now, which will take effect On July 1st. Emily Mahoney with the Miami Herald, Tampa Bay Times, Christine Sexton with News Service of Florida, and Bruce Ritchie with Politico have been with us this hour dissecting their areas of expertise, education, health care, and the environment, respectively. Uh, How do you think, um, uh, Bruce, we'll start with you, how do you think the governor is going to approach his ability to cross out certain spending programs in this budget that he's received?
3: I he said he said the the budget's going to be under under ninety billion dollars by the time he signs it, but that's going to require cutting a billion dollars. I don't I don't see how that happens. Uh, you know he he's going to go look at those water projects and and you know probably veto 10 or 20 million dollars of that or who knows i mean but I, I would guess that's always an easy place to find a few but mm. uh, otherwise i don't think he's going to find it in the environment to cut
0: emily how about uh, from your perspective if the governor thinks uh, he's going to find a billion dollars uh is it going to come out of education
2: uh i don't think so i mean he he had celebrated how much they were spending in um, district spending, and uh, he had originally proposed more spending on higher education than what they ultimately ended up um, spending. So I think you know it, where he might find things to cut might be in just individual projects. He also had threatened to veto at least one substantial policy bill, and those sometimes have money attached to them as well. Uh, so it, that that could be it <laughs> we're all waiting. Uh,
0: Christine, healthcare, how's that going to uh fare with the veto pen from the governor?
2: Well, you know, there's
1: always I think um Emily called them, you know, special projects or member <laughs> projects. They no matter how tight the budget is, they always seem to find the ability to fund these important things. So, there are things that he could veto if um in the healthcare budget. If he wants to, you know, I I think he will veto. I think he is looking forward to um, some vetoes. You know, I I agree with my peers, though. I just don't see how it could be in the amount that he said that it would be.
0: It's not an election year budget, right? So, in other words, uh, he's not going to be facing the voters uh, based upon any kind of vetoes that he may have. And that does that, Bruce, shape his. his kind of look, his lens about how he looks at this, as well as generally what seems to be the pretty high marks that he's received from the uh, legislative leaders about his uh, leadership during this uh, 60 and a half day legislative session?
3: Well, I think sometimes in their first year, they want to do more vetoes so they can look like the strong fiscal conservatives. And then, it, they, then they start sort of working it out in the, in the following years. Um, I'm not sure if Michael Peers agree with me on that.
0: Christine, Emily, what do you think?
1: I I actually think that Bruce is right, you know, because the following year he would be facing um, an election. And, you know, it's also a general election the following year. And you don't want to be the candidate that has slash spending when you have to face, you know, voters. There is – there is one thing though that's in my budget oftentimes um they talk about budgets and spending but sometimes you can make policy changes in in the budget and it really doesn't cost anything and lawmakers this year made a pretty substantial policy change with the uh for people in the agency for persons with disabilities Mm -hmm. that medicaid program Mm -hmm. and they they really did something nice they allowed adults with disabilities to earn more money Mm -hmm. and not lose their medicaid benefits so these are almost work requirements you know people talk about work requirements in the medicaid program but adults with disabilities who wanted to work couldn't because you weren't allowed to make too much money and if you made too much money you would lose your benefits and these are not benefits that are covered by traditional health insurance this is like someone who maybe would need someone to help them get up out of bed and bathed in the morning. It didn't cost any more money because these people are already getting these benefits, but it didn't cost them a dime, and Bradley worked very hard on this, and he actually called it a point of light in the yeah. budget. It Senator didn't Bradley. cost a dime. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry, the chief uh, Senate budget writer. It didn't cost a dime, and it will change the lives of thousands of adults who want to go to work but don't want to lose their Medicaid benefits. Uh,
0: if, in our final moments here, as we've seen in sessions past, uh, healthcare spending, especially, Christine, has been a point of contention that has led to some special sessions. Uh, any particular reason for a special session at this point or lawmakers done, Christine?
1: Uh, as far as healthcare, healthcare is not going to drive them back to yeah. a special session. Uh, for sure. They're okay. they're done on my end. Emily, how about for education?
2: No, I don't think so. I think, as Bruce had said before, I mean, when everybody came back on on Saturday to drop the handkerchiefs and declare victory, I mean, everybody seemed pretty satisfied. The governor, the top lawmakers. So and and they okay. would be the ones who who have the power to call people back.
0: Uh, Bruce on on environment.
3: No, but I will say out there, there is a lawsuit that last year a judge ruled that all of that Amendment 1 money, that maybe $20 billion yeah. over 20 years, has to go on new land buying and, mm. and land management. All right, That is still looming out there.
0: Well, to the trio here, thank you so much for sharing your reporting, your expertise with us. That was Bruce Ritchie with Politico, Christine Sexton, News Service of Florida, and Emily Mahoney with the Miami Herald, Tampa Bay Times. Pilar Ribes is our technical director. Katie Lepre, our engagement producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.